actually going to be speaking some as along with some other ladies and so um and so you don't want to miss that and so that'll be a great week but um you know i, I was really praying about what to share because it's i mean you know we had pastor paul trocal last week which by the way if you missed his message i would encourage you to jump online it will greatly bless you and um he's one of our missionaries that we support every month and uh and so uh, but after kind of coming out of Easter and even listening to his message last week as I was praying about what to communicate and what I had in my heart to share this week, um, I just kind of kept uh, coming back on the same thing. As a matter of fact, normally this isn't the case, but I didn't settle it until last night. And uh, typically I like to have my messages more planned out, if you will, but I just kept wrestling. I kept, I was going a different direction. I kept getting pulled back this way, pulled back this way. So finally I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to do what you are telling me to do. And, uh, and so, uh, but anyhow, so we're going to step into some things, uh, this morning and talk about some things, discuss some things that I believe is really the key to a strong spiritual life, this side of the cross. And, uh, you know, I believe that even coming out of Easter and, and, um, really the celebration of what all Easter is, is that sometimes we can leave Jesus on the cross, we can leave Jesus in the grave, or we don't even mind him being on the throne in heaven. We just don't like him getting too close to us. And, uh, you know, and I'm going to explain what I mean by this is that I believe that it can actually be easy to just be like, well, Jesus is my savior and keep him on the cross. Like he paid for my sin. I'm good with that. I understand that. And even that, hey, he went to the grave and he died so that I could have spiritual life. And the Bible says that he was resurrected. And because he was resurrected, now I can live in resurrection life. And, and we understand these things and, and, and we get, we really can kind of even get to a place of being pretty comfortable with a distant savior. Like the one who's just kind of like you did your thing. Now I'm going to do my thing. And one day we're going to meet up in heaven. But how many of you know that Jesus did not die so that he could remain distant? As a matter of fact, that's the difference of the cross. The Old Testament, God was distant, if you will, from the children of Israel. They could, they could, I'll say it this way, they could only know him externally. They could see him do things, but it wasn't all the time. That it, it, even uh, give you an example from the Old Testament, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, the Bible says that God led them. By a pillar of cloud by the day and a fire by night. So when the cloud moved, they moved, right? Why? Because there was a physical form in which they followed the Lord. But when Jesus went to the cross, that, that changed. And we no longer need to be led by our circumstances, led by situations. And many times we can actually uh, even try to follow God today, allowing our natural situations and circumstances to lead us when we actually have something way better than just this natural world. You say, well, what's wrong with following my circumstances? Number one, we live in a cursed world. The world is, I mean, I don't know if you know it. Just go turn on the TV for about two minutes. You'll figure it out pretty quick. The world has no clue what's going on. And if we allow our circumstances and situations, like I'll give you a funny example and, and, and of this, which is, it was nobody here, but one time I knew somebody, uh, it was actually a young teenage girl, I'll just tell you. And she was uh, fairly newly saved, newly t- to the Lord, and so she went to the store to buy something. And so when she went to go buy it, her debit card did not work. 
And so she said, she, in her mind, in her understanding, she goes, well, I guess the Lord just doesn't want me to buy that. And I laughed and said, no, it's because you didn't have money in the bank. That's why your card didn't work. And sometimes we can do things like that. Well, it just seems right. Everything seems to line up. Like, should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I go here? Should I do this? All of these things. And it just seems to line up. But I, it, even in my own life, and I can tell you many, many stories of this, where everything seemed right and it was wrong. And then there's been other times where nothing seemed right and the Lord said yes. And I'm going, I don't think so. Well, how can you navigate that? If God's not going to send me a cloud by day to go and follow him, then how can I follow him? And part of this is that we have to allow Jesus to actually come close. Like he can't be distant and be close at the same time. I don't know if you know that. It's it's impossible. And so, but I think that we have to really, you know, and sometimes I think we can be intimidated when we start thinking about, hey, I know that I'm saved and I know I'm going to heaven, but Jesus gets a little crazy sometimes. Like we like the Jesus with the children. We like Jesus, you know, in the soft areas of life. But then we kind of think like, Jesus, you get a little crazy sometimes. And, uh, you know, you also go and braid whips, which is my favorite version of Jesus in the scriptures, if you don't know that. And because uh, I like a little bit of an intense savior. I don't like some peewee. I, I, I want a manly savior. Well, Jesus was every bit that. And the Bible says that he actually ran through the temple with a whip, chasing out people who were selling in the church, flipping over tables. And I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, how come we don't see that in the movies? Like, somebody needs to make that movie. I would watch it and I would enjoy it. And, uh, but, but we can even, uh, we can really pull that in and say, you know, I don't know if I can trust Jesus in my normal life. Like, he kind of freaks me out a little bit. Because he does get a little crazy and sometimes he's pretty hard and pretty direct with people. Here's my encouragement to you. Is that we can really see the nature and the character of Jesus in two ways. Because he, and let me say this, he reveals himself in two ways. To the humble, he never rejected. He never, I, I've yet to find it in scripture where he turned away anybody who actually genuinely came to him for help. But he was very strong with the prideful. And so if we really want to invite Jesus to be close, we get to determine our experience with Jesus. And there are times that he is corrective. There are times that he's strong. Sure. But there's also times that he's very gracious and very caring and very loving. And we see this in our life. And so, but, you know, and so even with this kind of coming out of this Easter season, celebration of Easter. You know, one of the thoughts is that I have, and this is really the thought that I had that really kind of spawned this entire message is the question. It's a question is, has we, have we settled for a Christianity that is way less potent, way less powerful than what Jesus died for us to have? Have we just settled into a routine of, Hey, I go to church, I, I, I serve, I do these certain things, but you know, but there's no real difference this side of my salvation than the other side. Is that Jesus actually came so that we might be different and not just different, but I mean like transformed different. That's what the Bible tells us. And so we're going to look at some things this morning about how do we do that? Because Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. In other words, he said, I am done. I have done. Jesus has done everything for us that he can do for us. 
And so he's accomplished everything. So everything is ready for us to have. And yet I believe that many times we can struggle to actually receive and walk in the power of what Jesus has given us. And so this morning I want to really... Talk about how we do this, this side of the cross. Look, the Old Testament has a purpose. There's meaning in the Old Testament for us. There's lots of things in the Old Testament. But we don't live in the Old Testament anymore. We live on this side of the cross. We live on this side of salvation. And so we live differently. And and so, and look, the short answer of 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 the question is are we living well below the potential and the power of our salvation? The answer comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. We have to learn the Holy Spirit. Now, people typically don't have a problem when we're talking about Father God. People typically don't have a problem with Jesus too much. But you get to the Holy Spirit and people get weirded out because they're like, I don't understand that. Like, I don't know what all that's about. And some, you know, even some scripture, some translations would call it. The Holy Ghost and people are like, oh, I don't do ghost. Ghost freaking me out. Like all that kind of stuff. The Holy Spirit is, uh, is the third part of the Trinity. It, he is as much God as Jesus. And yet many times I believe that, the, that we've given the Holy Spirit and depending on our experiences, we can give him a bad reputation. We can have a, a bad connotation in our mind of what it means to actually have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. But this is what I can tell you is that, and, and I'll show you some things here in the next few minutes from Scripture, is that Jesus thought it was so important that you receive the power of the Holy Spirit that he said, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Don't, don't take a step. Don't go past go. You've got to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Why? Because he said, it's going to be just like me. Some of you may have the thought, man, I would love to have walked with Jesus. I wish I could have seen what it was like to be with Jesus. The same spirit that was in Christ, the Bible says, is now in you. It's, but it's the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus is limited to a body. Now, forever, he changed. I don't have the time to unpack what, why that is, but he took on a physical body when he came for us. But if Jesus is with me, he can't be with you. Why? Because he can only be in one place at one time. The Holy Spirit can be with me. He can be with you. He can be with you. He can be with you. He can be with all of us at the same. And he's the same spirit. Having the Holy Spirit work in your life is the exact same thing as having Jesus himself work in your life. And so this is important that we understand this. And so, uh, you know, I believe that. Well, let me just read you some scriptures here. I'm going to read you a couple of scriptures. This is post-resurrection. Jesus has, um, has gone to the cross. He's risen from the grave. And here in Luke uh, 24, verse 49, I'm going to read this out of the message uh, paraphrase. But Jesus talking to his disciples, and they're wondering what's next. And he says, he actually says to them, he says, what's next is very important. So Jesus said it's very important. So in other words, hey, pay attention here, guys. This is really, really important. He says, I'm, I'm, or, I am sending what my father has promised you. So stay here in the city until he arrives and until you're equipped with power from on high. The Amplified Bible says it this way, until you're fully equipped. Which means, now, I'm going to get into a little bit of a theological debate. And this might make some of your religious hair stand up a little bit. I'm just, there's, your, there's my warning for you. 
If Jesus said, you have to wait until you're fully equipped, that means that the disciples were not fully equipped yet. Now, had Jesus gone to the cross? Yes. Had Jesus risen from the dead? Yes. Had Jesus ascended into heaven? Yes. So, salvation was already available. Jesus had already accomplished everything, and yet Jesus makes the statement. I didn't say this. Jesus said this. So, don't get mad at me. And depending on your particular doctrinal background, I can feel a little tension in the room. Jesus says that you need to be fully equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit after salvation. I didn't say it. I'm just communicating the word of God to you. And this is important. You're like, well, but I have the Holy Spirit when I got saved. You did, because it's impossible to get saved without the Holy Spirit. But the Bible says that there is a secondary subsequent uh, event that can happen after salvation that Jesus called very important. Like, do not pass go. You, you, you need this. And last week, uh, Brother Paul was talking about his life and, and really about how the Lord had worked and how he had uh, perspectives and beliefs, real deep core beliefs in him about who he was and, and all of these things. You're like, man, that sounds amazing. Well, how did he do that? I've known Brother Paul a long time, and I know what he would say. The power of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit helping him, along with the Holy Spirit and people around him, helping him to grow into who God has created him to be. But that didn't happen by mistake or by chance. And so another account of this same uh, event here in Luke, we actually see in Acts chapter 1. Starting at verse 4 and 5. So Jesus at one time was eating with them and he commanded them. Everybody say commanded. That didn't say suggested, right? Right? Nobody wants to acknowledge that one. He commanded them. He's not asking politely. He's not offering it up as a suggestion. I think he's pretty clear here. It says that he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised. This gift that he's referring to is the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It, The Bible says it's him. He's a personality. And just like anybody else with a personality, you can know him. He has character traits. He has desires. But his desires are in line with God's desires. Because you can't separate. Now, it's hard to understand our minds is that there's three in one. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are the Trinity. You can't separate them any more than you can separate you into spirit, soul, and body. We're a three-part being, which is by design. God is a three-part being as well. That's why the Bible says we're going to make man in our image. God says we're going to make them like us. And here Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised. He says, as I have told you before, he said, John baptized with water, but, with, with, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Drop down a couple verses to verse 8. Jesus continues and he says, and you will receive power from when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. 
So here we, we actually see in the scriptures where Jesus says there is a power available to us from God that is sent to us as a gift. And many times I believe that we struggle and we can fight with things. And this isn't to say, oh, I received the power of the Holy Spirit and I don't deal with anything. and It's going to fix all of my problems. That's just not true. We live in a fallen world. And, and I mean, we, you know, I've shared many times about Satan. And the Bible says he is the God of this world. He's in charge of the world. You wonder why the world is in chaos? Because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10. 10. He loves chaos. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. You're like, yeah, but I thought the devil's defeated. We're still waiting his ultimate defeat. But right now, there's a world system that he's in charge of. Let me say it another way. Is that the Bible says that there is a curse on the earth, but Jesus came to reverse the curse. So actually, is that we've actually been called out. The Bible says we've been called out of darkness, out of this world system, and into the light of Christ. Well, how does that happen? The work of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit working in us, helping us to actually step into our salvation. And so this word here, many of you know this, but when it talks about uh, power, it's actually the word dunamis. The Greek word dunamis, it's dynamite. Like, blow something up, right? But it it really, it it was you, so it also, but it means this as well, is it also means to give you ability that you don't possess by yourself. Something beyond you to deal with what's in front of you. That's why the Bible talks about 1 Peter 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. We sang a song today, the the same God song. Is that like David, I may not face Goliath, but I've got my own giants, right? I've got my own things. Well, I'm not dependent on me, just like David wasn't dependent on himself. How did David kill Goliath? The Lord. The Lord helped him. To do that. In the natural, there was no way for him to to defeat that. And there may be some things in front of you that in the natural, you may say, well, there's just no way that this situation or my circumstance or my past or my history or my hiccup, there's just no way this is ever going to change. This is just who I am. Can I just be super direct with you? That's a cop out. That's an excuse to say, well, I just can't change. In yourself, you might be right. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing, let me say it this way, there's nothing wrong in you that the Holy Spirit can't help you to fix. There's nothing broken in you that the Holy Spirit cannot help you to fix. Just like Jesus is a healer, so is the Holy Spirit. See, you say, well, why does this make a difference? And, you know, because here's here's the thing. Why is this important? And why did Jesus say it's very important? Because we believe that every single one of us is called to make a difference in the world around us. But you can't make a difference if you aren't different. And as Christians, we are called out. Now, I did not say called weird. I didn't say called strange. Jesus, and I mean no disrespect with this, with what I'm about to say, was the most normal person. Why? How, do, how can I say that? Because kids would run up to him. People were not like running away from Jesus, quite the opposite. They flocked to Jesus. So he was approachable. He was real. He didn't walk around, you know, speaking in King James English. 
Because he didn't speak English anyways. That is, but he was approachable. And I believe that we ought to be approachable too, even as believers. But I believe we ought to be different. Is that we ought to face situations and circumstances and, and even trials that come our way. We ought to walk through them differently and we ought to come out victorious on the other side. Why? Because we have a victorious Savior. And, and He has sent the Holy Spirit to us to be our aid and to be our help. And this is important to know. And so... Um, so I kind of backtrack a little bit. I know many times that people can say, well, I don't understand the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I can read about. I see how Jesus is. I understand those things. But I don't know about this Holy Spirit. It just kind of freaks me out a little bit. And I don't get it. I don't understand it. Like, it's just kind of like he's just there, but it's, you can't define him. Let me give you a very simple way that you can know the nature and the character of the Holy Spirit. Go look at Jesus. It's the, the same spirit that was in Christ is the same spirit that's on the, the Holy Spirit as well. He's not different. And so if Jesus was, lack of a better term, normal, not weird, not strange. Now, did Jesus do some weird stuff? Yes. But did people care? No. Why? Because when he did strange stuff, eyes started popping into heads, hands started to grow out. You can get away with some weird stuff. Are you doing that? Okay. People are going to be like, I don't care. And here's what I would tell you that I believe, and I've, I believe this to be true with all of my heart. And I've seen it to be true. Even when the Holy Spirit has asked me to do something that kind of goes against my, my mind. I have to say, Holy Spirit, you're God and I'm not. And I'm going to trust you. And every time that I have trusted the Lord, he's always proven to be right. And I've always, he's, I mean, there's never been a time that I followed the leading of the Holy Spirit that I regretted it later. There's been times that I've not listened to the Holy Spirit and I've regretted that multiple times. There's no training quite like failure because failure equals pain. And so I remember the last time I didn't listen to that little unction. And look, and sometimes even in our verbiage, we can say things like, oh, well, I just had this feeling I don't, well, how did you know? Well, I didn't. I just had this, I don't know. It's like my, something just told me not to do that. That was the Holy Spirit. Say, well, how do I hear him? It's not here. It's just it's something that rises up out of your spirit, man. So what was Jesus like? If the Holy Spirit is like Jesus, we really don't have to look any further than Jesus to find out what the Holy Spirit is like. Acts 10.38 says this. It says that you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. You know, Jesus actually didn't do any ministry or any miracles until the Holy Spirit came upon him. Until he was baptized by John the Baptist. And the Lord had actually told John the Baptist... When you see the Spirit descending upon the one, that's the one, that's the Messiah, that's the Savior. And we know that many of you probably know the story. Jesus gets baptized and the Bible says that John saw him, which a lot of times people say, well, the Holy Spirit's a dove. That's not even what the Scripture says. It says that the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. But, you know, whatever. Church world, right? He's not a dove. He's a person. But it says that the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. God speaks from heaven. This is my son and who I'm well pleased. And then he goes out into the desert 
for 40 days. It actually says the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert. So let me just help you real quick. I know it. I see some grimaces because people already know what I'm about to say. They're like, oh, no. You may be in a tough season right now of your life or a tough moment. You may be in a wilderness season. And my encouragement to you is to find out why you're there. Because God has something good in mind. But there are things that will only get worked out of us in a desert time. Like what does a desert time look like? It's dry and it's quiet. I've heard people say it like this and I like it. Is that the teacher doesn't talk when the test is being administered. And there are times that God, even God's voice will be quiet to us. Because we need to just be obedient and to keep doing what he's told us to do. And we have the help of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who gives us the ability to do this. And so, so according to this scripture here where it talks about in Acts 10, 30, if Jesus went about doing good and healing all, Jesus is good. The Holy Spirit is good. He's not strange. He's not weird. In John 14, we're going to look at two, John 14 and John 16. I'm going to look at a couple verses here because this is on the, this is pre-resurrection. This is pre-cross now. And Jesus is trying to help the disciples. He's trying to help those who are following him. He's trying to prepare them because he knows what's about to happen. And even though he tells them, they don't understand it. And so we're about to jump into the middle of the conversation in John 14, starting in verse 15, Jesus speaking. And he says, loving me empowers you to obey my commands. Other translations would say it this way. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, this sounds like it's a test of of your love. It says, if you really love me, you'll just do what I say. But in reality, what he's saying is, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Let me give you a natural example of this. I can take my wife and say, I just don't need to cheat on my wife. I just don't need to look at any other woman ever on the planet. Because, if I, you know, I, I can't get tempted. I can't get tempted. Or I could just love my wife to the point that there's no other woman attractive to me. And because I love her so much, I'm not drawn away. That's actually the connotation that Jesus is saying here. If you'll just love me, you'll do what I say. It's a byproduct. It's not even hard. So he goes on here. So he says, uh, loving me empowers you to obey my commands. He says, and I will ask the father and he will give you this um, passion translation says it this way. Another savior. You're like, wait, I thought there was only one savior. Yes, there's only one savior. I'm not a huge fan of that word just because I believe not that I dislike the word necessarily, but I I do believe it can create some confusion. But here it talks about really that word in the Greek. And so it says another helper, another advocate. There's lots of translations. This version here says that it's um, um, another savior. But here's what what I want you to catch this morning is that this word another means another of the same kind. This is actually in the original language, the Greek language. This word is, is actually defined as another of the same kind. So as Jesus is the Savior for the guilt of, of sin, the Holy Spirit is the Savior who saves us from the power of sin by living through us in fullness. So Jesus paid the price for my sins, but the Holy Spirit helps me walk out of my sin. That's how I would say that. Is that Jesus can forgive me of it, but I can be forgiven and stay. And if we're all honest, we would all acknowledge that. 
Jesus didn't die so that we could stay in our sin. He came to deliver us out of our sin. Well, how does that happen? The help and the work of the Holy Spirit. So this word here where it talks about savior or helper is actually the Greek word paraclete. And so these are some of the, the traits, if you will, or let me say this, this is the job description of the Holy Spirit. Here's a few of them. He's our helper. He's our comforter. He's our advocate, our intercessor, our counselor, our strengthener. It actually says that he's one who comes alongside of us to help us in our time of need. So when you can't, the Holy Spirit can. When you get to the end of your rope, you're actually not done if you'll look to the Holy Spirit. You don't have to throw in the towel just because you've reached your end. Which I'll just tell on myself, when I reach my end, it's because I haven't turned to the Holy Spirit soon enough. And I got to the end of myself and thought, well, man, I guess I'm going to have to pray. Lord, help me. You know, I mean, like, if we're honest, we, we all do that. Because why? We're trying to figure it out. Well, what if we learn how to be in, co- in real cooperation with the Holy Spirit? Remember, the Holy Spirit is a gift. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father in heaven. The Holy Spirit is a gift, and it, He's a good gift and a perfect gift from the Father for you to help you. Verse 17 goes on, it says that the world won't receive him because they don't see or know him. He says, but you will know him intimately because he will be at home in you and he will live inside of you. I've already said this, but just so that we can circle the wagons around and come back to it. The Old Testament, God was external. He led by, you know, like I'll give you another example is that there's a a story in the Old Testament about a man named Gideon who put out a fleece before the Lord. He basically took a blanket and put it outside and said, God, if this is you, make the ground wet, but the blanket be dry. He comes out the next day. It's exactly as he said. So he's like, Lord, don't be mad at me, but uh, I'm going to put the blanket back out there and make the blanket wet and all the ground dry around it. And then I'll know it's you leading me. You don't need a fleece anymore. You don't have to like, be like, Lord, lead me through signs. Why? Because the Bible says we have an inward witness of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is no longer external. Jesus came to change everything about how human beings interacted with God. And now what was external has now moved internal. So I don't have to go look for a counselor. I have a counselor. I don't have to go looking for peace. I have peace. Now, there's nothing wrong with going and talking to people. That's not what I'm saying. But, I don't, but if I rightly understand the word of God, I already have his presence, his ability on the inside of me. In John 16, so they still didn't understand what Jesus is trying to say, so we're going to jump two chapters. John 16, Jesus, because he's picking up the conversation again about the Holy Spirit with the disciples. And he says... Now that I'm about to leave and go back to join the one who sent me, he says, you need, um, you need to be told. So, hey, guys, again, pay attention. I'm telling you, I'm leaving, and they're not getting it. They're thinking, no, this is just for whatever reason, their eyes were blinded to what Jesus was trying to tell them. He says, but not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, your hearts are filled with sadness because I've told you these things. So they're bummed out. They're thinking, man, Jesus, we've had a good run. Why stop now? Where are you going? I mean, why can't we keep this thing going? Because they didn't see the big picture. They just saw what was right in front of them. And sometimes we can actually not see the big picture of what God is doing. And we get frustrated with what we see. 
But we don't see that God is shaping our character. We don't see that God is, is, is forming our faith. And even in those hard places, or actually the places that, that in that, those places of resistance is where our, our, our stamina and our strength and our faith can actually grow. And so God says, hey, I didn't leave you in the tough spot. I'm there with you, but you got to walk through it. Why? Because I've got something else ahead of you. And if I just plucked you right out of that hard situation, you wouldn't actually grow. And whether you realize it or not, your assignment from God is to grow in your faith, to grow in your knowledge of him. It is your number one purpose. Before doing anything from God, you're to know him. And so here, the disciples are bummed out. Because they're thinking, Jesus, we've got a really good thing going. Why can't we just keep doing what we're doing? People are showing up from everywhere. They didn't see the bigger purpose. And then Jesus probably shocks them with this statement that I'm about to read to you. He says, here's the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage. How could it be to my advantage that Jesus, the Savior of the world, we've been waiting for thousands of years for the Messiah to come. How in the world could it be better if you leave? That's probably what the disciples are thinking. That's what I would be thinking. Jesus continues and says, For if I don't go away, the divine encourager will not be released to you. He says, but after I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will expose sin and prove uh, the world is wrong about God's righteousness and his coming judgments. By the way, can I just help you out real quick? Like, let's have a moment of honesty. How many of you, anytime somebody talks about judgment before God, it freaks you out a little bit? Just be honest. Got a handful of honesty. Well, let me help you. Y'all want some help? I'm not, this isn't in my notes. It's just, it's a freebie. As a believer, when the Bible says that we stand before the white throne judgment of the Lord, you want to know what your judgment actually will be? Rewards. Let that sink in for a moment. God's not going to have a list of everything you did wrong. Why? Because everything you did wrong is covered by the blood of Jesus. So you have nothing... If you've surrendered your heart to the Lord and you said, Jesus, you are my Savior. I receive the forgiveness of my sin. You have nothing to worry about. And God is going to give you the rewards of your righteousness. So you have nothing to be worried about. You can breathe a little easier. Take the pressure off. That's why, I, but this is, that, that verse right there is why I say it's actually impossible to get saved without the work of the Holy Spirit. Because we would never be convicted of our sin. Without the work of the Holy Spirit. Well right here the scripture just told you. He's, he's coming to convict, of, convict us of our sin. So that we would turn to Jesus. Drop down a couple of verses in verse 12. Jesus continues. He says man there's so much more that I want to tell you. But you can't bear it right now. Like you guys are already overwhelmed. You got deer in headlights. Like what in the world? You're leaving but it's better. And How could this be? And he's like I got more to say. But I can tell y'all are overwhelmed in this moment. And he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. And he will even tell you about the future. Like, well, how could the Holy Spirit do that? Because he knows the end from the beginning. When you were born, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, or as you were being developed in your mother's womb, that the Holy Spirit was overshadowing you and watching you be formed in your mother's belly. The Holy Spirit's been a part of your life 
since before you were born. But we have to learn and we have to invite him. Just like we have to invite Jesus into our heart, we have to invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of our life. And just as I said earlier, that Jesus was very gracious and kind and responsive to the humble. He wasn't so much with those who were prideful. The same is true with the Holy Spirit. When we're humble and we come to him, he helps. But he resists the proud. The Bible tells us that. Is that God resists the proud, but what he gives grace to the humble. So Jesus talks about this here and he says that the Holy Spirit is going to guide us into truth. And here's just a little a nugget for you to understand about this. It actually is the word truth there in the original language was actually reality. He's going to what? He's going to lead you into a new reality, a new way of living, a new way of understanding. And so it's not doctrine. It's not just information that the Holy Spirit's going to bring back to us. He can bring you information, but that's not what he's reminding you of the scripture for. He's reminding you because that information is actually designed and intended to bring transformation into our life. And, and so, you know, it, and so really it's this application of the truths or the realities of Scripture that make a difference, not just head knowledge. Look, you can quote Scripture all day long. You can have a Scripture for everything, but if it's all right here and it never actually drops into your soul into your, and really into your spirit realm and, and life comes... It's just head knowledge. Let me say it this way. It's theory. What's theory? Untested truth. Uh, uh, Untested thoughts. I remember when I first started pastoring, people would ask me questions and they would say, well, you know, do you have an idea what you're going to do? And I'd say, no, I have theories. And they would kind of look at me funny and I'm like, I ain't never done this before. I believe these things will work, but I've never actually tried them. So... I'm not foolish enough to say, oh, yeah, it's going to work. Some of my theories worked and some didn't. But see, like, but when we take the scriptures and they just are, and they're just head knowledge, it's just theory. It's not applied to anything yet. When we begin to apply the word of God, then it can create difference in our life. And you say, well, why is this so important? John 8, uh, 32 says that you will know the truth and the truth is going to set you free. In other words, there's a new way of living with the help of the Holy Spirit. Because he's the spirit of truth. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's not going to. Now let me say this. He will lead and he will guide. He will not get behind and push. And he will not pull. He won't do it. He, he's just not. Why? Because God doesn't force his desire upon anybody. In a way and in a sense. God respects your ability to choose. gave us the ability to make our own choices well the Holy Spirit is the same way he'll respect your decision if you choose to put yourself in harm's way that's your choice does he want to keep you from harm absolutely does he want to bring about the goodness of God in your life absolutely why because that's what Jesus did and the same is true with the Holy Spirit See, I, I believe that, that part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to help us to transform. Like to really transform. Not just change, not just incremental change. Like the Bible talks about, that I'm a new creation. Something that never has been before, now is. 
And I can get saved in a moment, but it's going to take me time to walk out my salvation. Not in the sense of earning it, but understanding how to use it. I mean, I had to learn. I've had to learn how to do a lot of things in my life. I had to learn how to ride a bike. I had to learn how to drive a car. I had to learn how to use certain tools so that I don't dismember myself. And there are certain things we have to learn. And, and the thing is, that when the, what I mean by that is, is that we have to learn to actually walk out <clears throat> our salvation. We have to learn how to incorporate it and really allow the presence of the Holy Spirit to help us to live in the fullness of what Jesus came to give us. Jesus did not die for us to be weak Christians. Quite the opposite. Daniel 11.32, I believe it's in the Amplified, I think it's the classic version of the Amplified, says that those who know their God will do mighty exploits. How does it say that? I can read it. It says, the people who know their God shall prove themselves strong and they shall stand firm and they're going to do mighty exploits. Well, how do you stand strong? You've got to have some strength. Well, where does that strength come from? It's not intestinal fortitude. It's the help and the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not weird. He's not strange. I mean, I always make this joke because it's a funny one. The Holy Spirit's not weird, but people are. And most of the time, people that are weird and blame it on the Holy Spirit were weird before the Holy Spirit. They just have, they're trying to blame somebody else now. One of the greatest compliments that I believe that a Christian can have, because there's a certain negative connotation... They're like, oh, you're a spirit-filled Christian. Like, oh my. I believe one of the greatest compliments we can be given is, you're not weird. You're right. Jesus didn't call us to be weird. He did call us to be different. But those aren't the same things. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you strange or weird. His, his goal is really to lead you into godliness, holiness, purity. To ultimately lead you into the power of God. So that what? So that the Bible says that we could be conformed or molded into the image of Jesus. His, he wants to make you like Jesus. He wants you to have the peace that Jesus walked in. That he could stand up in the middle of a massive storm and command peace be still. And the, the storm was calmed. He actually wants to help you to know how to do that. Now, it may not be a physical storm, but there may be an emotional storm. There may be a mental storm. There may be some things that you're dealing with. And the Holy Spirit may kind of nudge you a little bit and say, hey, you need to take authority over this. Like, this is more spiritual than you think. This isn't just random. It's not just by chance. So here's what I want you to know is that the Holy Spirit can be trusted. You can fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You really can. He can be known. Say, well, how do I know the Holy Spirit? Through trial and error. Let me take some of the pressure off of you. How have I learned the voice of the Holy Spirit? Because I've messed up. And I'm like, well, that wasn't the Lord. That must have just been me. And then there's other times where I'm going, I think this might be the Holy Spirit, but I'm not certain. And then it plays out. I'm like, that absolutely was the Holy Spirit. And so I've, I've learned to recognize the leading of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 says, says this. And 
It says, those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. He's going to lead us. He's going to guide us. But we have to receive him just like we did our salvation. And so I've shared this statement with you before and this morning, even as I was kind of reviewing my notes, going over some things. This, this, this phrase, this quote, this statement actually came back up in my heart. And I'm going to share it with you as we're closing out this morning. Because I believe this is a, a very important distinction. Is that being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than anybody. At all. Like you pray in tongues? Yes. How often? As much as I can. Like why? Because it recharges my spiritual batteries. Jude verse 20. When you pray in the Holy Spirit, you're, you're building yourself up. You're stirring yourself up on your most holy faith. And something happens. Well, how much do you pray in the Spirit? How much do you pray in the natural? I pray in the natural until I run out of words. And when I've said everything I know to say, I'm going to kick over into the Holy Spirit. And you're like, well, why do you do that? Go read Romans 8. That even in my weakness, and really it means in my lack of understanding when it says weakness, the Holy Spirit will pray through me the divine purpose and plan and will of God. Yes. You want to pray the perfect prayer? Let the Holy Spirit pray through you. This isn't my opinion. This is what the Word of God says. Jesus said, it's most important. Not optional. It's most important. And if we're going to step into the fullness... Look, I'm not saying that we don't experience God and the power of God in a measure. But there is another level that we can step into as a believer. There really is. Say, well, I don't know about all that. Take some time. Call me. I would love to have a conversation with you. It's a game changer. It really is. And you won't be able to figure it all out here. Just go read the book of Acts. The church is 40 days after resurrection. The Holy Spirit shows up on the scene in Acts chapter 2. And it says that, it, that, that, that the, the house where they were at was shaken. That they all begin to speak in a heavenly language. Now people have got all kinds of crazy wacky doctrines about the laying on of hands, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all these things. Let me kind of ask you a question on the reverse of that. Why do you think the enemy has fought so hard against this doctrine in the scripture? That And look. I don't have any seminary degree. I just go to the scriptures though. And I will take God's word over man's opinion any day. And that, that's a decision that I've made. I don't care what anybody else's doctrine may be. I'm going to stick to what the word of God says. That's why I stand up here and communicate these things to you. Not as my opinion. Because I could give you stories. I would rather give you the word of God. So that your faith is in the word of God, not in my experience. And so this morning.